This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Ganesh Iyer took over as CEO of IT services firm Emphasis in 2009. His focus as CEO, he says, is to add sustainable business value to customers. According to Iyer, the traditional time and material and fixed price model of the IT services business will undergo a major change in the coming years. Customers, he says, will not want to buy IT services. Instead, they will want to buy business outcomes. In a conversation with Knowledge at Wharton, Iyer says that to remain relevant, IT services firms must be ready to cannibalize their own businesses. Emphasis, he adds, is on a transformational journey. We want to be a positive disruptor. In other words, destroy the old value but replace it with new value in equal if not greater terms. Our guest today is Ganesh Ayer, CEO of Emphasis. Ganesh, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So, Emphasis, what is Emphasis and what exactly do you do? Actually, our um, business is uh, we leverage IT services and business process and work with our customers to help them solve their business problems. And uh, that has been our focus uh, throughout. Uh, In terms of size, we are uh, seventh largest out of India. So that kind of defines us. I refuse to call ourselves as an offshore IT services company because uh, increasingly it is not about being offshore. It is about being bringing business value to your customers. So um, let's stop right there. You said you are the seventh largest Indian IT services company with six big competitors ahead of you in financial terms. Uh, how do you compete and how, what value do you bring to the customer? So um, that's an interesting point because I just don't compete uh, with those six players and they are very, very capable players. Um, Actually, we are competing in front of the customer. And ultimately, customer chooses based on the value that you are bringing and the approach that you are adopting, uh, the strategy that you have, the focus that you have. Are you able to solve the business problem for them? Can you work with them in a partnership mode? Do you have a delivery which is, uh, which is top class, which does not let the customer fail? So if you look at all that, at that point of time, there is no discussion. Are you number seven? Are you number five? Are you number three? So what we have done as emphasis is we have selected few customers. We have selected few countries. Because as a billion-dollar company, we cannot be everything to everyone. And these customers, roughly about uh, 75 customers that we are focused on, uh, we are focused on five countries. We bring the best of emphasis to them. And my job as a CEO is to make sure that the best of emphasis is better than what anybody else can provide to that customer. So that's what I do for a living. So let's take a specific example. Uh, of uh, of one of those 75 customers, what could you do for, uh, just take, give me any example of a project that you have done for a customer and that adds value that may be different than one of your com- competitors could have offered. See, the, the point is um, I'm fairly certain that many people uh, can do something similar that, uh, that we do. The question is, are they better than us in that? 
Number two, are they focused on that customer? Are you able to demonstrate a track record with that customer? It, it is not enough to say I exist in the marketplace because this is about unique challenges faced by that customer to solve those problems. So whether you look at client onboarding solution, whether you look at risk and compliance solution for the mortgage industry, or you're looking at uh, solutions which are in the CRM space if you're, uh, uh, if you're a bank, all these areas, many, many service providers exist. What we specialize in is not the technology. It is not the services. It is about knowing the customer, ensuring technology services together become a solution in enabling that business outcome for our customers. So you became the CEO of Emphasis in 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, what was your mandate and what was your vision for the company? See, um, it has evolved over a period of time. A mandate, you know, traditionally if you're a listed company, every CEO will start saying that my job is to create shareholder wealth. We adopted a slightly different approach because shareholder wealth is an outcome. It cannot be the objective for the CEO. So my focus as a CEO is creating value for my customers. And that too, a value which is sustainable value. It changes with time. It changes with technology because there is no such thing that this solution which was good in 2010 would be good in 2014. The business model which was good in 2010 would be good in 2014. So the whole vision, mission, our approach has evolved over a period of time. And what I needed to ensure is that we are in tune with our customers and changing marketplace. In fact, customers, customer, if I may. Got it. So uh, you, you talked about creating shareholder value, and, and your biggest shareholder, uh, HP, also used to be your biggest customer. But based on my understanding uh, of emphasis, uh, HP has basically cut uh, uh, emphasis loose. Uh, and, and you almost have to reinvent yourself uh, as, as uh, uh, providing uh, services to the market. Uh, how have you navigated this particular challenge? So let me uh, give my answer in two parts. Let me give you the first part, our relationship with HP. We have two types of relationship with HP, one as a shareholder, second as a customer. And these two relationships are not mixed because both HP as a biggest share owner doesn't want to see any dilution in corporate governance and we don't want to see any dilution in corporate governance. So there is complete meeting of minds there. As far as customer is concerned, in 2009, when we looked at the data uh, as, the, as the board of the, uh, of the company, we saw the concentration risk had gone up because 72% of our revenue was coming from HP. So that was actually a trigger for our transformation. Many a times, you know, companies transform based on certain triggers, certain events. Uh, some of them are external events, some of them are internal events. Our trigger was we felt that the concentration risk is very high, 72%. And uh, our direct business was not growing. So these were the two triggers which caused us to kind of step back and say, what do we do? And that started the first wave of our transformation. We said, we want to bring the value of hyper-specialization to our customers. And we picked two industry verticals, banking capital market and insurance. 
we picked, uh, we were operating in 16 different countries. We said we will focus on eight countries. So the whole strategy was based on inch wide, mile deep. And we started building value in terms of knowledge, depth, and there were lots of good things going for emphasis. We were, arguably, we were the birthplace of BPO from India, right? So that was our heritage. We had a very budding and, and growing practice around um, applications and infrastructure. So we brought the power focused on, that was our first wave of transformation. Now we are on to our third wave. What was, the, what was the second wave? So second wave, we basically said, uh, you know, as a billion dollar company, marketplace is changing. Can I uh, change the marketplace? Absolutely not. We are too small to change the marketplace. So how can I become more valuable? So we adopted um, a strategy of named account. We said we want to focus on select accounts. Initially, it was select industries, select countries. We went further uh, focused select accounts, whether it is existing customers or new logos. So we created a sales force which is compensated only if you are able to get business from these customers. And that was our wave two, and we also created a solution specialized sales force. Now wave three that we are in, we are focused on being a positive disruptor. In other words, bringing the value of the new world to our customers reinventing ourselves, challenging the status quo, and defining that new world in the context of value creation. Disruptors are somebody who take the value out of the system. We want to be a positive disruptor in the other words, destroy the old value, but replace it with new value in equal if not in greater terms. So give me an example of positive disruption and how you've implemented that for one of your customers. So if you uh, see the newer model of IT services consumption, uh, what is very popular is anything as a service. Now the traditional model in which uh, offshore companies have operated is time and material and in some cases fixed price. Now the moment you move to anything as a service model, what it does is it brings variability into the cost for, from the customer standpoint. And they are not looking at offshore. They are looking at either transaction-based pricing, it could be business transaction, or it could be an IT transaction. Now when you do that, it has the potential of disrupting the traditional model of providing um, people to a client or just doing traditional offshoring. So you're destroying that value. But by bringing anything as a service, you're replacing it with a higher IP, higher knowledge, uh, higher partnership with the customer. So that is a classic example of uh, disrupting the old value chain, replacing it with a new one, and creating new value. And you should be prepared to cannibalize your own business. So I'll, I'll come back to the sure. question of strategy, but let me ask you first a related question. So you have made four acquisitions, mm -hmm. uh, AIGSS, Fortify, Wide Corporation, and Digital Risk. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell me a little bit about what were your goals for each of these acquisitions and how that fit into your overall plan uh, and your overall strategy for emphasis? See, um, we defined our strategy first. And we said this, uh, we defined that this is in 2010, this is where we want to be, 2011, this is where we want to be, 12, 13. Now, at that stage, uh, the, there were three choices in front of us in select areas, build, buy, or partner. 
Now, and, and then you assess whether by buying, can it accelerate the pace of your strategic pursuit? And can you mitigate the risk of acquisition? Because in technology field, majority of acquisitions actually fail. We were very careful and we went through this uh, you know, process of ensuring that these are good acquisitions. But that is the beginning of, it's almost like choosing a life partner, right? You do all the screening. But after the marriage, you have to ensure that it is nurtured properly for a successful marriage. So we also focused on integration. We adopted models ranging from tightly coupled, right, tightly governed, or loosely coupled and, and tightly governed. Do we allow the, the brand of that company? So digital risk is actually uh, loosely coupled and tightly governed. Digital risk has a very vibrant uh, brand. They are known in a risk and compliance area of U.S. residential mortgage. It didn't make sense for us to kill that brand. We have let that structure remain intact. In fact, we have nurtured it further, and uh, they are doing a stellar job. So uh, you, horses for courses, uh, you cannot say that this is my integration strategy, and you apply it uniformly across whatever integration. And one more thing which uh, we are uh, extremely careful about, do not acquire to fill the gap in your revenue. Because the moment you do that, you may be renting the revenue for a short while and you may have a bigger gap in time to come. Uh, what's your assessment of the global IT services market today? And what kind of opportunities and risks does that create for emphasis? In fact, uh, you know, I have a controversial uh, point of view on IT services. Excellent. I'd love to hear it. Uh, see, the um, I believe the way IT services are being sold and consumed today may cease to exist in years to come. In fact, uh, I will go to the extent in a, people may not buy IT services in, let's say, five to six years' time. Nothing called IT services may be procured. So uh, if you are in IT services uh, business, what do you do about it, right? Because the concept may be IT services inside rather than uh, saying I buy IT services. So that being the case, people may be buying business transactions, maybe buying business outcome, a significant amount of automation and innovation will eliminate, uh, what shall I say, human intervention to, in a significant manner. When all this happens, how do you exist and how do you survive? How do you thrive? How do you prosper? How do you kind of excel? And that's the, the uh, roadmap that we have developed for emphasis. Our belief is that IT services in itself will grow, but in, not in its traditional form. And we have prepared the organization as part of our third wave of transformation to take us towards that being a positive disruptor, to enter the arena of new range of services, and which we are leveraging our named account strategy because we want to do it in collaboration with our customers, right? And being just focused on select customers does give us that opportunity to do so. So let, let's now uh, dive a little deeper in the, into the question of strategy. Uh, can you explain a little more about what your strategic vision is, uh, especially in the area of uh, positive disruption, and what lessons can other companies learn from Emphasis's experience in this regard? So um, the positive disruption, as I described it, it, the whole idea is to create new set of uh, value chain 
uh, and uh, by ensuring that you're taking your customers along with it. So it's a positive disruption that we, but I also want to highlight one more thing. Um, we operate at the confluence of people, planet and profit. So it is extremely important for all corporates, including us, to be a responsible citizen and ensuring that we are taking the community along with us. We are ensuring that we are balanced between profit and, and, and doing the right thing. So that is the confluence in which we are, uh, we are operating. Now, sharing the lessons with others, to, uh, to have a point of view that transformation will end, especially if you're a technology company, is probably a myth. Because by the time you believe that, uh, that a transformation has ended, uh, something new you will have to do. So instead of saying that uh, I have transformation one, two, and three, um, we describe it as that we are on a transformation journey. We did wave one, we are doing wave two, and we are on to our wave three. As a CEO, my job is to ensure that these waves are interconnected. They are leveraging each other rather than acting in conflict of each other. And continuously, and as part of transformation, most important challenge is changing people's mindset. Changing organization structure, measurement system, incentive schemes, these are all easy things, easier rather. Not easy, easier. Uh, so the physical aspect of transformation is easier. Chemical aspect is extremely tough. And to be honest, successful transformation requires you to manage the chemical transformation well, and which is around people. Uh, and, uh, and as a CEO, initially I thought by changing the measurement system, incentive scheme, it, it, it works. Actually, that's a myth. So CEO has to be uh, leading front front. He has to be an enabler for rest of the team to leverage the transformation. He cannot expect that the teams will change automatically. Series of workshop, communication, and, and just changing the measurement system alone won't do the trick. So how do you bring about a chemical transformation? You bring about by, first of all, personifying the transformation yourself as a CEO and ensuring that your customers are with you uh, your employees are with you and your board is with you by actually demonstrating success. So you have to work on few such cases, making them into a success, and, and to be a learning leader yourself because you may have thought that this is what you want to do. In some uh, small percentage of cases, you will have to make a U-turn and, and reset the direction. You should be prepared for that because you are staring at the future without having all the data at your disposal and deciding that this is where you want to head. So, so one of the things which, uh, which uh, I get assisted by my direct reports is they are authentic, they give me the feedback, and I should be prepared to listen to them as to what's working, what's not working, including to the person who is right at the field level. And that's how I keep myself motivated. I have done many mistakes in this journey last five years. Certainly not proud of them, but uh, I am not afraid to commit mistakes because if I become afraid of committing mistakes, I'll not try something new. What's the biggest mistake that you've made and what did you learn from it? And just to add to it, what's been your biggest accomplishment and what did you learn from it? 
See, um, to say that uh, something as a biggest mistake, um, I don't know whether I can rank them biggest and whatnot. I have committed enough mistakes. So I'll tell you, one of the things which I have learned is that many a times your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. So um, I absolutely love working with people. People are my strength. And at the same time, people are my weakness. So um, I struggle at some point of time to, to come to terms with the fact that somebody needs to be taken out. But, and and uh, so I have a team which advises me on that because I make sure that my weakness is, uh, is kind of, uh, that gap is covered by having a good team with me who is able to advise me on, the, on those uh, things. And uh, my biggest accomplishment is uh, to have a very capable, trusted, authentic team reporting to me because they have been instrumental in many ways taking us from where we were at one point of time our direct business stood at 28 percent of our total revenue today this that very same business stands at 63 percent of our revenue and this is over a period of about three and a half years so I give credit to, to my direct team members who have enabled it. And most importantly, as a CEO of a listed company, you need to have a board which is challenging you but is supportive of, of the strategy. So I'm blessed with, uh, with uh, members who come from diverse background. They keep me honest. They challenge me. Uh, but they are completely supportive of the strategy. So you have to take these stakeholders along in your journey of transformation. What do you think should be the role of a CEO in reimagining strategy? Very, very interesting question. Um, I, I, I don't know whether I can comment on role of a CEO, but I believe I keep myself young by, uh, by learning. So uh, being present at Wharton, listening to you, um, uh, I will get an opportunity to talk to the students. I spoke to some of the faculty members. Similarly, talking to my employees when I go and visit some schools, those students. So when you listen to all these things, you realize what is happening in the real world. I spend a lot of time with startups. They share with you how they view the world. So uh, being a listening leader, I believe, is extremely important to be, uh, to be successful. And that too, if you're a CEO, you have to demonstrate that ability to listen, learn, and then lead. I'd like to end with a couple of personal questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, as a CEO, what do you, would you say is the greatest leadership challenge you faced? How did you deal with it, and what did you learn from it? So the first challenge was when I was appointed as a CEO, this is my very first role as a CEO. And um, I came in because I had, uh, I guess they chose me because I had done the previous roles extremely well. And when I walked into this role, the fact that you are chosen and the fact that you have done previous roles well. Can you tell me a little bit about your previous roles? Sure. So I, I have done roles ranging from, uh, in a major technology company, I was their IT uh, offshore, I mean, sorry, outsourcing head for Asia Pacific. And uh, before that, I was uh, head of Southeast Asia for IT services of uh, that company. 
I was uh, managing director of India for that uh, company. So I've done different roles. Uh, by training, I'm a chartered accountant. So I'm a finance guy who went into sales, then uh, ro rose through rank and file to, to occupy that position. So coming back to the point which I was trying to make, you think that what you have done and which has earned you the role of a CEO uh, prepares you well for a CEO. I was in for a shock. Because role of a CEO is very, very different from uh, being a senior business leader in a company. Because multiple dimensions of this role. There are, uh, today, 36,000 employees are counting on me to ensure that their future is bright. There are a number of customers uh, who look at you as Mr. Emphasis. And then you have shareholders who have expectations from the company. So first of all, the, the stakeholders change dramatically. And you think you are prepared because you have been successful in previous role. To me, that was the biggest eye-opener. And, uh, you know, and uh, in many ways, I was reminded of that by looking at my performance. So I adopted uh, an approach, um, which was uh, at least some people found it um, strange, and, but I found it very useful. Having completed about uh, three years as a CEO, I said, I'm going to call the first three years of a CEO as a somebody different, even though I was the CEO. And I'm going to assume that I'm a new CEO now. And I'm going to assess the performance of previous CEO. And I'm going to ask my team, what did the previous CEO do well and didn't do well? So that way you take that emotional attachment to your own actions and your own legacy decision. I went through a very structured, formal process of doing that assessment. And then I published, what is this new CEO going to do? I made it public to my team members. I sent out an email that these are the behaviors I'm going to show, these are the objectives I'm going to achieve, these are the changes I'm going to make. So that uh, when you publish it, you have no choice but to change. So otherwise you face public embarrassment, right? And CEOs are actually very afraid of uh, public embarrassment. So, uh, so I was ready to be embarrassed if I don't do it. I published it, my team was supportive. In fact, some of them loved it so much that they did it themselves, right? And uh, so, so that was, uh, so if I may, uh, started with, uh, with a wrong notion as to uh, that I am ready for CEO job but then I learned it quickly, um, correct, uh, course corrected. Then I, after three years, I looked back as if it was somebody else who was doing it. And again, I start, started the new journey. We are on to wave three of transformation. And, uh, and I'm very, very confident and, uh, of, of our wave three and, and very, very proud of my team because uh, you know, they have kept me honest. And, uh, and I can also tell you my five years as a CEO, I will not trade it for anything else. So when you did your uh, midterm assessment or uh, three-year assessment, what sort of a grade did the previous CEO get? Uh, an A, a B, or a C? Or? Um, you know, I'm fairly certain some of my own board members will be watching this. So uh, <laughs> regardless of they watching, I'm going to be authentic about how I rated myself. I gave me three out of five. And uh, and my aspiration is over a period of time, can I score six out of five? And it's a tough journey, and uh, I'm not uh, I'm not cocky about it, but what I'm trying to do is uh, to be relevant with times, uh, to work with my team members. 
to listen to youngsters who are creating a very vibrant world and to be in tune. So I would like to stay young forever, a teenaged uh, CEO, if I may. Uh, one last question, Ganesh. Uh, how do you define success? Success is uh, not what you do when you're around. Success is when you're not there, how people rate you after you have left the scene. So it is about leaving a legacy behind. It is uh, leaving something which, is, which sustains, um, uh, leaving somewhere uh, where your successor is somebody who comes from within your own ranks so that uh, they, uh, they have an opportunity to ensure that you have done succession planning uh, and to have a strategy and execution which people talk about. So uh, to me, that is success. Many people say it is reaching this share price, this kind of uh, total shareholder returns. To me, those are all outcomes. But to me, success is leaving a very, very positive, sustainable legacy behind. Ganesh, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you so much. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.